Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 104th episode of the podcast. We're going to get a chance to talk to Hall of Fame skipper, Coach Jack Leggett. For those of you who may have been on a rock or really don't know Coach Leggett, uh, Coach Leggett, former head coach, Clemson University, Hall of Famer. He was the just recently the head coach of the USA Baseball 18U national team. He's an author of the ABCs of Coaching. Uh, at Clemson, he was there from 94 to 2015. 21 NCAA appearances, 9 Super Regionals, 6 trips to the World Series, nearly 1,000 wins at Clemson, over 100 professional baseball players, uh, 9, nine first-rounders, 25 players drafted, uh, have played in the major leagues. So not 25 big leaguers. In his total career uh, as a head coach, 1,332 wins as a head coach, ninth all-time in Division I. Uh, You can see him on jackleggett.com. And um, just a remarkable, remarkable person. And it's just really, really cool just to see this thing. You know, here we are, 104 episodes in, two years in. This is our second year. Doing this consistently for two years is is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, you know. Before we get going, I, I it's the thinking of getting to talk to Jack Leggett here two years in was just pretty awesome. You know, talk about our, our our sponsors, Netting Pros having having a sponsor, being a brand ambassador for them just through the podcast. It's it's really cool, and it doesn't happen without the people that sharing it. it doesn't have to be out without you like not able to share it and, and talking and sharing it with your staff or sharing it with someone who. Feels they can get better with it. Um, players and coaches apart. That was just the whole vision. That it's just about spread it, have a good conversation. It's the biggest thing guys would talk about. Like, what do we do? Like, just want to have a good conversation. That's the big expectations I have. So, just want to thank you guys for for sticking with us and uh, and believing in it and, and sharing the same message with uh, the great game that we have and how we can, you know, help it to prepare people beyond the game and. Uh, and just the different ways of doing it. What a great way for me to see you uh, see, sit here for two years and say, look at all the different ways of doing it, and I just got to find which way is going to work for you and which which way for him. And, and it's great that this is where our game is. Um, but So it's really great. And I uh, before we get rolling, I really just got to thank our sponsors, Netting Pros. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Professionals specialize in design, fabrication, installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, Scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, stadiums throughout the country. Contact Will Miner. Contact the guys at Netting Pros today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. So thank you to those guys. And thank you all for supporting us. And huge shout out to Coach Leggett for giving me the time, helping us here as we continue having great conversations. We continue to try to help guys continue to grow the game. But big shout out to Coach Jim Machieski for setting this up. Uh, this probably wouldn't really have happened, probably if it wasn't for him. So just big shout out to another podcast guest. If you haven't checked out that podcast uh, with Coach Machieski, it's uh, episode 76. Um, Coach is an absolute dude. It's a coach at Malden. And so give him a follow. Check it out. And a little bit about this episode with Coach Leggett. 
You're going to hear his passion. You'll hear his intensity. You'll hear his attention to detail. All the opportunities he's still helping and how he's still growing the game through his book, through his website, which is jackleggett.com. Throughout the podcast, we had talked a little bit more about his website and what all he offers there. So feel free to check that out. And enjoy this. Enjoy this week's episode. Enjoy the second year anniversary. The second year, the 104th episode. It's pretty wild. So again, thanks for the support. And here he is, Hall of Famer, Coach Jack Leggett. My coaching uh, trail has come a long ways. Uh, You know, Trey, I, I started out at the University of Vermont. And I was a 23-year-old kid that came, uh, thought I was going to play professional baseball. It didn't work out. I thought I was going to play professional football as a kicker because I could kick really well and still hold a 52-yard field goal record there, still hanging in there 45 nice. years later. <laughs> but, but I was a football player, and I loved to play, and I was, I was a good player. But I, I always loved baseball. I got into coaching baseball, and I coached the club baseball team at the University of Vermont. Um, and uh, it turned to varsity status. I was 23 years old, just had graduated from Maine, and it turned to varsity status in the summer with uh, lacrosse and gymnastics and uh, baseball all turned into Division One sports, and they offered me the job at 23. And I, so I started my Division One coaching career when I was 23 years old, and I was coaching guys that I still have great relationships with that are 60, 61 years old now and that played for me, and I was only a few years older than they were at the time, but they're very loyal and and uh, we practice indoors, and uh, probably a lot of your listeners are indoor uh, practice guys that have limited space, limited uh, time, and uh, maybe even limited coaches. I didn't have any coaches the first three or four years other than myself, and I got a pitching coach, and uh, and we had to be in a tenth of a mile track, and we had an hour and a half of practice because lacrosse was coming in after that and women's softball was coming in after that and women's lacrosse coming in after that for an hour and a half block. So we had limited time space and had, I had to delegate a lot of responsibility between my players. And uh, so I learned, uh, I had gone to the university of Maine, so I knew about indoor practices. And so we held fundamental indoor practices in small areas within a small area. And so it made you a better coach. And I had to learn how to be a pitching coach and, you know, handle the outfielders, handle the infielders, handle the base runners, handle the catchers, handle the defense, offense, everything. And so I think it really prepped me for, and I had really good fundamental college coaches. I played football and baseball in college and and uh, basketball in high school. I really had good fundamental coaches. And so I had that job for six years, uh, you know, five years as the as the head coach of the division one team and one year as the club team. And and uh, I needed better weather. I went down to Western Carolina University. I spent nine years down there. We, you know, had some great success and we won five championships in a row, 85, six, seven, eight, nine, and had some really good players and they all bought into the whole deal. And, and uh, we went from that, you know, conflict, change, commitment, and championships, the four C's I call them, because they had conflict. I was a Northern guy coming down there, 27-year-old coach, they were used to doing their own thing and, you know, and had to set the tone of how we're going to do things other than how they were doing it before. And uh, so we had a little conflict. They eventually changed, started to believe, started to understand exactly 
that I knew what I was talking about. The practices were good. That we were going to win before it was all over. Then they became committed. They committed to it, and they wanted to show recruits around campus. They, you know, couldn't wait to get back and work hard. And every time you you pushed them to the outer limits of working hard, they worked harder because they were committed to you. And uh, because we went through the conflict, change, and commitment phases, we ended up winning championships and having a, having a really good program. And so that was a great place for me to be when I was, you know, 27 to 37. And uh, I left there to be an assistant coach at, at Clemson University. It's a tough decision for me because I'd never been an assistant coach. I was used to talking to the team and being the guy in the dugout on the bus, uh, you know, on the field and running the show. And it was a good experience for me with Coach Wilhelm for a couple of years and uh, did all the recruiting and, and uh, really had some good players coming in. Uh, transitioned into the job after two years there and became the head coach at Clemson in uh, 19 fall of 92 and so 93 and um actually it was yeah fall yeah so the first season was 93 and then 90 actually the first season was 94 so it was the fall of 93 i became a head coach and then uh we went to omaha in 95 and 96 and things started to roll and mm-hmm. then we went back again in 2000 2002 2006 2010 and we ended up being in nine different uh, super regionals, which is tough to do nowadays. And and we had the good thing going. And uh, I'd always been asked to go, you know, to do some uh, stints with USA Baseball in the summer. But I was committed to the, to uh, recruiting and committed to my program and to the camps that I have and the recruiting part of that. And so I never did it. And um, I had I hired some really good assistant coaches, like you mentioned, Tim Corbin. Kevin O'Sullivan, John Pulowski, uh, you know, Tom Reginas, uh, you know, Dan Pepsell along the way um, that understood what we were trying to do. And I, we had some really good players, uh, two national players of the year, and we had Chris Benson and Cleo Green, but we also had a lot of really other good players. And so anyway, it started to feed on itself, and it, and it, it really was in a good place. I got done coaching in 2015, and – I was lost a little bit because I loved coaching. It was my, who I was. It was in my DNA. I wasn't ready to stop. It was, I was 60 years old at the time. I had a lot in the tank in my mind. So I got involved with USA baseball a year or two later and um, did a tournament of stars, I think in the summer of 2017, liked it. And then went back and uh, they hired me to be the coach in 2018 and 19 to be the head coach. Uh, and we had a tremendous team. It went to Panama in 2018. We won the gold medal. One, we went 9-0. and And first five guys in the order were first-round picks. So we mm. were pretty offense. Yeah. And, uh, and there were a couple younger guys. Drew Romo, uh, who was our catcher that year, ended up being a first-round pitch the next year. Another Yohandi uh, Morales is probably a first rounder uh, this year or next year because he went to Miami. Uh, Dylan Cruz is at LSU, probably ended up being a first rounder. So these guys were all on team. Pete, Pete Crow Armstrong is also here. So they all became first rounders. We had a really good team. We had some guys on the mound that were uh, two or three first round guys and two or three second round type guys. And some that went on and played major college baseball and 
Then we went to Taiwan, South Korea the next year, took another team there, won the silver medal, and again, had a bunch of really good players and, and came one, you know, 120 feet from uh, 180 feet, I guess, in second base after the lead. It was probably 150 feet, but whatever it was from, uh, from winning the gold medal there. But it was a great experience. Ran into some really good coaches, Scott Bankhead, uh, Greg Ritchie uh, at, at George Washington, Merv Melendez down at Florida International, and Gerald Laird, who is over in Busan, South Korea now coaching and so we ran into some really I ran into some really really good players and some great coaches and and so I'm, that was a great experience for me I'm done with that it was a two-year commitment and um, so I've just written a book called ABCs of Excellence that you can get on Amazon or on my website at jackleggett.com and I did 29 coaching videos that I think all your coaches listening the, the, they would enjoy the book and the videos you can get on the website and they're all 10 minutes or less, the videos, but they're all about coaching, the qualities of a winning coach and team and athlete in a winning program. And uh, I think they really enjoy them. And uh, it's easy reading. The book's easy reading and it's easy to be busy, Trey. And I love being in baseball and I think about it. I talk about it. I dream about it. I wake up in the morning thinking about it. I think about it at night. There's still a lot into my tank. But I love talking to coaches and I love talking baseball and I love talking leadership and anything that has to do with the game of baseball and, and what you can get out of it. I'm I'm all in. So that's where I'm at. That's where I landed here. And uh, my mind is is still sharp and um, I'm thinking about baseball all the time. <laughs> that's awesome. I was just I was just wondering, like, man, like so one of the hardest things is like the expectations you know like when you have like you said a lot of talent ton of you know, for, for top five first five hitters or first rounders like how did you manage like those expectations you know like when you had the talent well i had a lot of talent at all three schools in different levels at vermont i had talent but you know it was unproven untapped uh it wasn't as much emphasis back then it wasn't as much support for the program but i look back and there were some good players i had some good players at the university of vermont and they were very fundamentally sound they played hard all the time they were loyal uh then i went to western carolina and had maybe another level of talent uh and or just more of them and again very loyal hardworking, tough kids a uh, mixture of kids from all over the country mostly from the east coast and um they just jumped on the bandwagon and believed in me and I believed in them and we were very successful and uh, just made them into a good team. I think that's the big thing. You know, you got some good players. They come from different places, different backgrounds. Then I went to Clemson and again, the level might've jumped up a little bit from there in, in certain cases, although I had some guys on these other programs who could play uh, at that level, but now there's more of them that can play and you're choosing from a bigger sample size throughout the country. Now you're recruiting the best kids in the country and, and uh, kids that are draftable and all that type of thing. And, and so now you got to bring them in and you've got to mold them together as a group. You've got to be able to uh, make them think unselfishly and fundamentally play the game right and play hard. And, and uh, they were extremely loyal, extremely hardworking, tough kids, um, and we just fed off each other, you know, I was enthusiastic and young still. And, and, uh, and I think they appreciated what I was all about, but I also appreciate what they were all about. 
So there's mutual respect back and forth. So they wanted to play hard for you. And I wanted to coach hard for them. And uh, then when I got, you know, when we had some of the best players in the country, best teams in the country at that time. So um, just blending them together is a, is a challenge in itself. And uh, having them put the pro thoughts and the selfish part of every kid aside so that they're playing to get do that with the talent that we had we ended up having a pretty good team so and then the usa baseball we have for such a short period of time but you know there's agents around or there's advisors there's they've all been ranked they all have been through usa baseball channels all the way up through so they know they're good baseball players but we just tried to make it fun tried to make a learning experience so that they you know i i even though they were the best players in the country, there were things to learn about sure. communication on the field and fundamentals and how they can be better players hitting wise, base running wise, defensively, offensively, whatever it might be pitching wise. And so there was a lot to be taught, but you had a limited, more limited time and you had to prepare them and just gel them as a team because each one of these guys, you know, obviously were good players and had some egos, but at the same time, I never really had any problems with any of them because they all wanted to play hard. They were all playing for USA, which is, you know, prideful in itself. And uh, so they worked hard at it. They believed they had fun with each other. They got really good relationships within the team and we were really tough to beat. We had really good, besides good players, we just had, you know, good coaches that I was working with, but also good, uh, good players with good attitudes. And uh, I just really enjoyed my couple of years there uh, working with USA baseball because, but they also were hungry to learn. Mm-hmm. They all had high expectations. They all want to go out and play professional baseball at some point. But in order to do that, they knew they had to get better and you had to emphasize, Hey, you got to make improvements in this area, that area. And they, they bought in, they, they were very good at it. So um, it was a really, I think just bringing them together as a group, from all over the country. I mean, kids from Florida, California, you know, Michigan. I mean, they were from all over the country. Mm-hmm. And so Washington or so it didn't matter just making them all believe that we're playing one for the USA. Um, and when we went to go play Japan and, you know, whomever else, Australia, Spain, you know, South Korea, um, you know, Taiwan, whomever it was they were playing for the USA, which was, which was our biggest goal to get them to, to think unselfishly and play hard that way. And they, they did a really good job that way. The, the USA jersey means a lot to those kids and the experience meant a lot to them. I bet it does. Yeah. So I, I guess that's what I'm just, I'm just thinking of like, you know, the things that you've learned over your time and so maybe how to get that player who maybe hasn't played unselfishly, who hasn't thought about the team first. Like, what are the things that you're doing to gel them together to, like you said, get them to think of us playing for one team? Well, I think the biggest thing is just starts when you first recruit the kid. You have to explain to them this is what our program's all about. If you want to be a part of it, we're going in here to go to Omaha. We're going here to win the conference championship at the Southern Conference, or we're going to go here and be number one in New England. This is what we're going to do. And it's going to take you to be unselfish in order for that to happen. And I'm going to develop you as a player. I'm going to give you your freedom in, in a lot of ways. And we're going to bring out the best in you. But bringing out the best in you 
with the right attitude is going to help bring out the best in him and him and him and everybody else. And so uh, it starts there. And then when you get to campus, blending the team together, they live together, they hang out together, they study together, they come down to practice together. Next thing you know, they're, they're bonded tightly. And then uh, the things that you do in practice are important. You know, you emphasize the importance of being unselfish. Man on second base, nobody out. You got to hit the ball the right side. You got to push punt this way. You got to pull a ball if you're lefty. You got to hit, get a ball in the outer half and hit a ball the right side to move them over third. So you work on those things. Man on third base, uh, less than two outs, infield back. You can't strike out. You can't take a called strike. You can't pop the ball up in the infield. You have got to hit a ball on the ground to score your man, score your buddy. So hit and run, you got to be able to trust each other. I'm sending him. He's getting a little less of a lead maybe, a little less of a jump because he's trusting you at the plate to get a piece of that ball. So in order for him to feel good about him leaving just a little bit late and not getting picked off, you have to train them and practice and make them understand that we got to trust each other in order to win. So I think there's a lot that needs to be done during practice in competing, putting your practice plan together, um, having them understand that the game is not just about standing in the outfield during batting practice and trying to hit bombs over the fence. I mean, there's a, there's a strategy to this game. You've got to know how to bunch. you got to know how to push runners around. you got to be able to sacrifice once in a while. You've got to be able to hit behind runners. You've got to be able to put the ball in play. You've got to battle at the plate. Um, as a pitcher, you know, it's not about you and your velocity. It's about getting people out. It's about working ahead in the count. It's about utilizing your teammates, trusting them, you know, putting the ball in play so that they can play, get back, creating quick innings, get back in the infield. So there's a lot that goes into a practice plan that tries on a daily basis to bring everybody together and have them understand that it's a team game. It's not, it's not about you. It's not about how far you can hit it. It's not about your launch angle. It's not about your extra velocity. It's not about how far you can hit it up on the, warning track it's not it, it goes far deeper than that if you want to have a winning team and uh you know putting balls in play and and emphasizing not striking out and you know it seems to be something that strikeout is uh almost an accepted thing nowadays it's like drives me crazy you know when i played it wasn't it wasn't acceptable to walk back to the day I had to do put the ball in play and and it was an embarrassment to go back to the dugout. So I never wanted to let that happen. Didn't let it happen very often. Some of these guys strike out 50, 60, 70 times in a season. It just blows my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I think that starts in practice and that emphasis starts in practice. And, you know, it starts in recruiting. And then it starts when they get on campus and it starts in practice. And, and then it, it, you emphasize those things in game. I, I always, it was always Trey, it was always, uh, um, something that was non-negotiable. If we were scrimmaging, and the guy laid down a bunt and moved the guy over because that was part of our practice or part of the scrimmage, we wanted him to do that. Or he hit a ground ball to the right side and moved the guy from second to third with nobody out. Or he hit a, you know, ground ball and, and with the infield back with a guy on third and scored the guy and kind of gave himself up. But all, everybody had to recognize that on the bench and in scrimmage in practice. They had to high five the guy. They slap him on the rear end. Whatever it was, they had to, they had to emphasize to him, we appreciate what you just did, because if that starts in practice, then they, it's like a dog. They do something good, you know. They want to do it again, you know. 
And it's the same thing with a human being is they, they do something good. They get feedback. Teammates appreciate it. Coaches appreciate it. I want to do that again because I, they all know it's important. And, you know, I've seen in professional baseball before where the guy is in second base, grab ball to second base, moves him over to third, nobody out, comes back to the dugout. Not one person, not one person. And several years back, I was watching the game, game ago. Not one person recognized or even said anything to him when he came back to the dugout. I'm thinking the culture's not exactly right. This was mm. back before they won the whole thing and they got a little better thing going on. But I've seen this in professional baseball. You have to recognize that that's part of the game. And I gave myself up and moved him over and uh, put ourselves in a better position to win. And it, it needs to be recognized by your teammates. And once it is, everybody wants that feedback. And so it becomes a little bit of a cycle that way too. Yeah, that's great. I mean, especially like you said, um, just making it, just emphasizing, praising what you want, you know, praising the positive and, yeah. and uh, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, you talked about, uh, I guess, I guess even, I guess in games, you're talking about just um, emphasizing new things, probably like in your, in, in, after the game kind of meeting and things like that, guys that are doing it as well as, uh, I guess you said, you're talking about like, uh, just praising those guys even during the game when they get those things done. Um, you, you mentioned a ton, you know, just with practice. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, there's so many things, uh, within your practice and that, that you've, you've, you've shared so many great things, you know, and, and you've always been such a leader when it comes to practicing and, and running a great, and you, you mentioned about your coaches, right? The coaches that came for you, you had fu good fundamental coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, is, is it a lot of your creation? Did it come from like the beginnings of, like you said, having to be the only, your only guy or a lot of the things that you did learn um, from other people or just something that you just kind of were just creative, you know, through all those practice plans and, and the practices that you've done? Well, when I went to college, played football and baseball four years and fundamentals was always emphasized. I learned I was a good baseball player in high school. We won a couple of state championships. We had some good players and we won a couple of state championships in football, but I had a really good football coach in high school. And it was, you know, attention to detail. It was fundamentals. And uh and in baseball, when I got to college, I had Jack Butterfield and Dick Devonney were unbelievably way ahead of their game on infield play. If you've listened to me talk about infield play and how I go about my business there. Those fundamentals have not, yeah, there's some adjustments here and there, have not changed all that much from what those guys were doing 45 years ago. They were ahead of the curve. I'm going, you're keeping your glove open, you're keeping your palm down. You, I mean, you're keeping your, you're fielding the ball from the out to the end on the glove hand eye, bringing the stomach to shoulder, into the belt buckle. I mean, all these fundamental things that I still teach that still work and worked well for me. And they come back, coach. I've been off in pro ball, but the stuff you taught us infield wise is far ahead, a little different in some ways, but far ahead of what we get. You know, I, I hear that a lot. And I'm just, to me, I really had good fundamental coaches. There are some things that are different than, than, than maybe what somebody else does and people moving through the ball. And, you know, there's all kinds of ways of doing things and things go different with different bounces. But at the same time, I had really good fundamental coaches. And so 
fundamentals was always a really big deal for me. And so when I started teaching and coaching, I thought if I can make these guys who are maybe not as talented and we're young and I don't have a lot of coaches, if I can get them fundamentally sound, we're going to at least be in the game and we're going to be able to play defense and we're going to be able to execute on offense. We're going to be able to get a bunt down when we have to. Gonna be able to move up on the extra bases because we're gonna run the bases well. We're gonna hit the cutoff, man. We're gonna communicate well. We're not gonna make, you know, bad decisions on the field because we are, you know, we're, you know, we're committed to fundamentals. And so I really feel like fundamentals in practice, the building of fundamentals, throwing drills, the throwing drills we did at Clemson. You know, I wish I had thought about these even earlier, way back. Um, but so you learn some things as you go along, but also throwing competition into your practice is really important. They their engine runs at a higher level. If they don't, if there's no competition when you're taking batting practice, or no competition when you're scrimmaging, and there's no emphasis on the score or consequences for winning or losing, or whatever it is, or doing things right, or you're executing on offense and there's no consequence for not getting a bun down or you know, in the fly ball in the infield with the guy in second base. I mean, if there's no consequences or no feedback uh, and no competition, then they get used to thinking that's okay. But it's not okay if you want to win games. And so I think fundamentals, accenting on competition, um, you know, getting their engine to run hard all the time. I use the analogy in my book and and also in the video in the videos that I made. Uh, analogy of a, of a Harley Davidson. I've got two Harley Davidsons. And I say, if you practice like a Harley Davidson engine, which has been going 120 years now, and it's changed the brand. The brand has changed all along. It's been, it's something everybody knows about. So if you practice like a Harley Davidson engine, you probably will play in games like a Harley Davidson. If you practice like a scooter, then you don't, you should not expect to have a Harley Davidson engine when you need it in a game. So I, our practices were always full of repetition, full of intensity, and full of accountability. And they were intense, so that when the games came, this was easier, and there was a lot of repetition of fundamentals and uh, an emphasis on, on things that would make the game go in your, your favor more often. So... Those are things that I think are important. Repetition, intensity, accountability, um, working on your fundamentals all the time, not bypassing those. If you got a talented player with good fundamentals, he's much better than a talented player that you let go and, and all of a sudden his fundamentals come back and burn you before it's all over. So good fundamentals with a really talented player makes for a really good baseball player. And then you got a, a talented fundamentally sound and then you throw a competitive player in there now you really got something special i've seen guys that are talented and they like to play baseball but they don't have that fire inside to win and so they're a good baseball player but then i've had a guy who's less talented who's fundamentally sound whose engine's running who's competitive as heck and he helps you win more and you can't take him out of the lineup so I, I, if you can find that balance and find that kid who is competitive, fundamentally sound, got some ability, okay, but competes all the time, and he's got a heart of a lion, heart of a champion, 
you got something pretty good. You got something pretty good. And they're hard to find. Have a team of five, six, seven of those guys, and then you got some guys that are talented that, that kind of believe in these other guys and to watch them, then they bump their game up to another level. Next thing you got a next thing you know, you got a good team. So mm-hmm. you got to have some toughness on your team. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Greg, I, so many things. I well, one I'd love to see because, like you mentioned about, like, man, I wish I would have got these things before Clemson and the great things we did at Clemson. So my question is, like, to you, like thinking about, man, coach, like, um, what are like, let's say, the top five things, or like, let's, however you want to put it, uh, top three to top five things that you wish that you that that you know now that you wish you knew. Like you said, back back when they had Western Carolina, Bert, your Vermontes. That's a good question. Um, I just mentioned one of them, just the throwing drills that we did. Throwing drills, right. Daily basis at Clemson. And the five or six throwing drills I did with my campers and two with, with good players and USA players and, and so forth. I wish I had emphasized those more maybe at Western Carolina and at University of Vermont. So that's just one thing. Um, Another thing I think I wish I, I guess, as I got older, I I kept it a little bit more simple. So I had at the beginning, I probably had, you know, five bunt plays, you know, pick up whatever, three or four at second base, you know, whatever. And so I started to realize that, with these aluminum bats and how important it was to avoid the big inning. And it became more important to be really fundamentally sound, really communicate well on bunts and get the out, just get it out. Yes. If you get the lead guy, great. Always plan on that. Get your feet set, get yourself ready for that. No, I got my out at first base, but I think, you know, we practiced a lot of plays maybe that we didn't use very much in the end, you end up being a little more fundamentally sound have less people moving because people will slash and, you know, things can happen quick and let's, let's handle the bunt. Let's get an out and let's manage this game rather than trying to do too much. And so I think as I got uh, more experienced, I will call it rather than older, (laughs) I think I realized that, you know, keep the game a little bit more simple. Um, I, as I got older and I got more experienced, I think my mind got more experienced and I got better as a coach. And I just knew more about what was happening on that field everywhere and what everybody's doing. And if I go to a high school game or a little league game now with grandsons or whatever, if I go to a game now, I see everything that happens like a wide angle lens. You know, maybe before I was, wasn't experienced and maybe I, I saw everything I thought, but now, so I wish, I guess I just had the experience as a country song. I wish I knew then what I know now, something mm-hmm. like that. I wish that I could take all the experience that I had back there and push it in. I think um, the things that served me well as a young coach is I, I was very athletic still. I could still play with my kids in the summer. I played with all those guys that were 60, 61. I played with them in the summer when you could do that back then. I was a shortstop. And I had my center field was playing center. And, you know, my 
first baseman was playing first, the left field was playing first, a couple of pitchers were playing. I could do that. Wow, that's cool. And so I was playing until I was 27, until I left to go to Western Carolina. I was playing 65 games, 70 games in the summer with these guys. And so I think the ability, I had the ability to demonstrate, to show yeah. what a shortstop, turn double play, show the fundamentals, go out and take ground balls with them, grab a bat and just hit as well as any of them lay the bunt down with my eyes closed. I mean, I could, so I think it served me well being young, being enthusiastic. Um, my father was a coach for 40 years. I had really good coaches I mentioned before. So I was probably ahead of the curve when I was 23. I wasn't a normal. I didn't have any idea what was going on. And while well, this is all new to me, I had been around it. I'd been around good coaching and had really good fundamental skills and a background and fundamentals and how to run cutoffs and relays and rundowns and first and thirds because that's what our coach did in college we were we knew what we were doing and so I was at 23 I knew how to run a rundown I knew how to you know do cutoffs and relays and communication I knew how to do handle first and third situations on offense I knew how to run first and third defense I knew how to you know handle pickups. And so I, I just knew those things because I'd been around them. So I think that I probably was, you know, take it the wrong way. But when I was 23, I think I was probably further ahead than, than most 23. I look at a guy 23 now and I go, heck, I was coaching division one team. <laughs> and I barely, I barely got this guy out of college. <laughs> and so that, that served me well being young being enthusiastic. I think the players, I relate to them really well now. And back then when I was their age, you know, five, six years older. Um, and that's why we have such a good relationship. And I think that even when I was 60 and 55 and 50, I was, I could relate to these guys and we had a heck of a time, fun time. And so I think that was one of my good qualities about them, Trey. I knew I cared about them as a player, as a student, and what was happening off campus, their family. I cared about them. And when you do that, and you genuinely do that, they will follow you. They will compete for you. They'll play hard for you. They'll work hard for you. And so I think we had a, a really good relationship. So I think that part of me was always ingrained, even when I was 24, you know, 25, 6, 7, 8. And so that's always been good. Um, I think I would, I think as I got more experienced, I became a little, uh, besides seeing the whole picture, um, I was every bit as competitive as I was when I was younger. So I wouldn't change anything that way. I think I handled umpires better when I got older, uh, <laughs> more experienced and was, you know, more tolerant and uh, and less you know less volatile I guess and uh, it's because if somebody was working hard I could I could I could be in it with them if they weren't working hard and I still would get very you know get excited I guess even was older but I think I became more uh, poised and more experienced didn't get as you know, as, as, uh, uptight maybe. And I, if I could have carried that back, but that comes with experience. So it's a good question, but 
I really feel good about what I did as a young coach. I feel good about what I did as a medium age coach when I was at Western Carolina from 37 or 27 to 37. And then I felt good about what I did from 37 to 60. And, um, but you learn something all the time. Every time you go to the field, if you're not learning something or seeing something in a different light or finding something to help the players that are out on the field become better or help the team become better, then that's when you've lost it. And that's when you stop coaching. But you should always be learning and finding something on that field that will help that guy get better or make him more alert or make him more aware of something or making your team more aware of something. You should be teaching all of the time. And the minute you feel like you figured the game out, you haven't, and that's when you should be done. And the minute you stop coaching and teaching and, and, and start letting things slide that aren't slidable, whether it be hustle or attitude or body language or execution, if you start letting those things slide, it means you stop caring as much as you should care. Now, you can handle it in the right way. You don't have to be a yeller and a screamer, but you, you have to, uh, they have to understand that those things are important and uh, important to your program and better athletes, better leaders, and better people. So, um, always emphasize I didn't let many other things go. I still don't, <laughs> still wouldn't. <laughs> That's why you still want to coach. That's why you're That's still there, exactly, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Dang it. You still got the fire. You're not letting uh, stuff slide. I love that. Not slideable. That's good. <laughs> not, not slideable. That's it. In other That's words, great. In other words, it's not, it's a zero tolerance deal. There you go. I, yeah. I still like not slideable though. Not slide <laughs> That's a new term. I did. You can, you can use that next time. I, I, I am. I'm him. I'll never forget that. I'm not slideable. I, dad going right. This is not slideable. We're not doing that at all. Not slideable. I'm not sliding by this one. That's it. <laughs> Exactly. So, I, you know, it's, it's just been a, a really, you know, all the young coaches out there, I, I, the best advice I could give them is watch, pay attention, listen, learn all the time, um, pick people's brains, learn the fundamentals of this game. If you ask me how to do rundowns, I can give you seven principles is how you handle a rundown. Cutoffs and relays. There's a high school team coming down here from Vermont. I'm originally from Vermont. And uh, he's a friend of mine, and he's been coaching for a long time, and he's bringing his team down to uh, to Greenville, South Carolina. They usually go to Dodgertown 25 years in a row, but COVID has got approval from COVID up in Vermont. You can travel. So now he's trying to put together a trip early April to come down here. I'm calling high school coaches to get the fields trying to get things organized for them, some lodging, you know, that kind of stuff. And and I'm thinking, okay, they'll be on the field at this high school from 10 to 12, you know, and over here from 1 to 3. And then they got a game at night at 6 o'clock at scrimmage against this team. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm already doing practice plans in my head. Yeah. I hope he says, hey, coach, why don't you just handle the uh, this cutoff and relay thing deal? Let's go. Let's go. It's on, you know. Or – how do you go about doing this? Or how do you go about doing this? I just, I love talking baseball. I love talking the fundamentals. It's ingrained in my head. I think that's one of the things missing with young coaches nowadays and young players is with a lot of travel ball, it's not a bad thing. It's not, it, there's, there's some positives to it for sure, a lot of gains, but 
I think of practices get neglected. I think there's a lot of people out there teaching hitting in facilities. Some of them are really good. They have got some good college background, got some good fundamental background. But then there's some that, you know, are just not teaching the right things. I've seen some hitting drills that just blow my mind on the internet. I'm thinking, oh my God. But I, I see these things. So I think that in general, yeah, guys who are the best, the cream of the crop at Clemson, I'd watch him throw the first day. I go, oh my God, I gotta teach him how to throw. But he's yeah. the one of the best players in the country. Best kid out of California. You know what I mean? I gotta teach him about his front side. I gotta teach him how to step in the right direction. I gotta teach him to follow through. I gotta teach him some fundamental things. I watch him swing, I go, oh my God. This guy's the best player. I, I gotta teach him not to bar his arm. You know what I mean? And I'd see a kid take a ground ball the first time. I go, oh man, here we go. Then I'd watch him bunt in the batting cages or something. And I go, oh my God, I got no idea. I said, Coach, I've never bunted before. I've never, nobody's ever told me how to bunt. I've never had to bunt in high school. He's the best player. Sure. So you're breaking that skill down. Base running, I've had guys look at me during scrimmages or during. Batting practice, we're working on base run. I said, tell me what your thought process is here. You know, when I say apply the rule between second and third, which ground balls you're going to move up on? He goes, I don't know. We were just told, go to the next base. You know, th this is a, the fundamentals that I was getting at the highest level. And I'm thinking to myself, if these guys, some of these guys, not, not all of them are like that. That's some good, but I was getting guys like that. I'm thinking if they're getting it, what are these guys getting? And what is that team getting? And what is that group getting? And so there's uh, I just think coaches, I tell you what I'd like to do. I would like to have a auditorium thousand eager coaches of all levels, high school, junior college, NAIA, division three, two, one, assistant coaches, whatever, and have a Nine o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the afternoon. All right, we're going infield fundamentals, infield fielding ground balls. Getting one of those lectures, nine to ten, ten to eleven. We're finishing up double plays, starting and finishing from both sides. Eleven to twelve, we're doing bunting, <laughs> teaching fundamentals from twelve to one. We're going hitting. From one to two, we're doing cutoffs and relays, and we're doing, you know. 130 to two, we're doing rundowns, you know, we're doing bunt defense next half hour, you know, next hour. I mean, to me, that would be such a valuable thing for the coaches who are searching to try to figure out how they do all these things. Um, it'd be important. It'd be important to them because I, I know I've been to practices. I've watched, I've watched practices all level and I've, listen to people talk. I've seen people and not to say I have all the answers or everything I do is right, but I do have a good fundamental background. And there's a lot of schools out there that, that do it well. And there's a lot of them out there that, that could do a lot better at it. So that's always been one of my, you know, you guys, a day of fundamentals, question and answers, you know, break it down and just answer questions you know but so i think that's that's something that all coaches need to work harder on is to get a better fundamental base because if you know your fundamentals and you teach your players 
all of a sudden they're listening to you. You know, I'm teaching a kid how to break down his ground ball, ball right at you, you know, and I'm breaking this down right off the bat. Kid comes onto campus in the first week and he's going, geez, I never heard this. I never knew this would help me. I This is good stuff. And then all of a sudden they go, God, he knows what he's talking about. Now that goes into bunting, it goes into base running, it goes into everything else. So they start to believe in you and develop that trust. And then you can really teach and they really can develop. And I always took pride in the fact that these kids, when they came to Vermont or Clemson or Western Carolina, that they got better, that they developed, that they improved. And when they came in as a non-drafted player and ended, ended up being a, you know, first round pick or second round pick or, you know, whatever it might have been, uh, becomes an all ACC player, or all American or something, becomes in as somebody that just was really raw, uh, but their fundamentals got better. And I took a lot of pride in these kids getting better. Yes, you sure did. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely, definitely able to, easy to hear that. Um, just, mm-hmm. uh, I was going to, so loving the fundamental talk. Uh, think us, can you take us through, like, let's say breaking down, Oh, you said, because I tell you what, I bet you there wouldn't be enough hours in the day to go nine to five to do all the different fundamentals. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We have to stay all night. Start yeah. the next night. <laughs> No doubt. So no. let's go. Oh, I'm just thinking. Um, just thinking what seems like your passion is definitely infield. You know, you're an infield shortstop, mm-hmm. um, you know, and thinking about that. So how um, – so let's say just break down the fundamental. Like, how would you, with with getting guys when you first get on campus? I'm just thinking of the progression, right? When you first get a kid to what it looks like, you know, like when you set at because I think it's a very realistic thing. Like what you talked about when you were at um at Vermont, being the only coach. What did it look like when you wanted to set those fundamentals from the start, right? And the and the expectation level that you had to then when you said you had to delegate it out to them because you being the only guy, Hey, I got to go work with these. So I want you to do the X, X drill. How did, what was the progression like from where you basically said, here's what I expect you to do to now. Okay. You got to go do on your own. Okay. Well, first of all, you mentioned my passion infield, but really my passion is throwing drills. My passion is fundamentals of moving your feet and catching the ball properly. My fat, my, uh, Passion is infield play. My passion is base running. I love base running. Passion is bunting, being able to move runners around and understanding that whole deal. Uh, hitting, love hitting. You know, these, you know, team defense, team offense, uh, putting pressure on the defense. These are all really, really passionate things of mine. You know, pitching. If you don't pitch, you don't play. I mean, you, you can't play the game. As simple as that. 16 walks in the game. I've, saw, I've seen 16, 13, 12 walks in the game. I've watched a lot of games in the first four weeks of the season here, and I've seen some atrocious things that cause you to lose ball games. But um, So my passion is really everything. When you first started, what I would do is I would always watch a kid throw and then go, okay, this is what needs to happen. Then I'd watch a kid take ground ball, just nice, easy ground ball. And I'd watch, I'd go, okay, he's feeling the ball on the right side of his, on, you know, the right side of his body. He's got his left foot far ahead of his right foot. He's flipping his glove. He's dragging his feet. His head's way ahead of the, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that I see as soon as I see the first ground ball. So I'm going to try to have that kid feel some ground balls. Maybe he gets a little bit 
he, he screws up a few of them. He starts to have a little bit of a problem. And then that's where I move in and go, hey, listen, I got a few things that are going to help you here. And then I'll start just really fundamentally. Above open. Teach him where you want him to feel the ball. From the out to the end, down to the up, stomach to shoulder. Um, keep not flipping the glove over. And and wide body and, you know, getting down, get your butt down, your hands out front, having soft hands, all these things. So I will show them, have them roll me a ball. And then I try to do, I try to show them the right way and maybe show them what he's doing. Show them the wrong way of flipping your glove, feeling it off to the side, head in the wrong direction. So I, I try to show them the wrong because I always learned by visual. If I saw somebody do something right, I saw a guy serving in tennis. I go, I can do that. I go out and serve tennis and meet the kid on the high school team. And but I learned visually. You know, I never had a swimming lesson hardly in my life, but I can competitively swim at time. I, you know, when I was never had a tennis lesson in my life, never had a golf lesson in my life. But by watching, I know that I can pick a skill up. Now, not everybody can do that, but that's how I did it. And so I always felt like if you can show a kid something and you can break it down step by step, that's how you break a bad habit. You go step by step. It feels uncomfortable at first. It feels different. But that's the only way through repetition that you can break a bad habit. And so I would just get him down the stance and I would roll the ball right in front of him. A little further away, further you got away. Now the bad habit came back in there. I go, Hey, Hey. So then I would fundamentally talk about that. Then it might be a, a little short fungo from the pitcher's mound, nice and easy. Then it might be a longer, you know, then it might be a live ground ball after time, but every day, every day it requires accountability, feedback, and work on your fundamentals but it, it's so it was always just a breakdown of the skills and the same thing was true with um was hitting you know um you know i i just feel like hitting wise that um there's a lot of fundamental skills there that can go wrong and i've had guys that were the best hitter in the state of south carolina home run leader in South Carolina. So he comes in and goes to the batting cases. All he does is pull the ball, pull the ball, rolling over. So immediately he was high op OT. Let's hit the ball the other way. Let's get up on top. Let's stay flat. Let's, let's let you understand that there's 90 degrees to this field here. And you're going to be tougher to defend. And you're going to be able to hit the ball more backspin and less topspin, less foul ball pull down the left field line. You know, keep the ball in the middle of the gaps. So you have to have a plan. You can't just go at it haphazardly. I would take something simple that was easy to work on for that day where they get some, some good result. Yeah, maybe he's right. Maybe, um, you know, or they'd be in a scrimmage or two and get eaten up the first couple of times and they hit, you know, seven ground balls to the left of me coaching third base and then going, okay, you see what's happening here. And uh, so they have to, just like anything else, a kid has to be willing to change, has to understand why he has to change, and then he has to attack the change. And if he can do those three things, he's willing to change, understand he has to change first, I guess, and then be willing to change, and then attack the change without five repetitions and going, 
Well, this is how I used to do it. I, it didn't work so well today. You know what I mean? They have to be willing to trust you. And that's why you have to be I, in one of my infield talks I've, I've done over many of the years is you have to be willing to tell them why you're doing what you're doing. And you have to be willing to show them and able to show them why you're doing it. And get on the tee and say, okay, this is why you hit it. This is how you hit the ball the opposite way. This is how you get on, high, on top of the high tee. This is how you feel that ground ball. This is how you start the double play. This is how you, you know, whatever you decide to do, you have to be willing to be committed to it. They have to be willing to be committed to it. They have to trust you. That's going to help them become better. And uh, I think uh, because my get into that point with every kid and he started to believe in you. And uh, once they do that, they'll, they'll make the changes they have to make. It's a, it's a, it's a process. Not always easy because the kid's been told nowadays he's been uh, ranked the second best shortstop in South Carolina. He's the uh, third best outfielder in Arkansas. I mean, everybody's ranked now. So they all think they're good. They all think they got it figured out. Most of them. But what they have to realize is that you got a chance to be the best. And if you got a chance to be the best, you got to be willing to change. And you'd be willing to work on these things that are going to help you become better. And that's why he has to trust you and your experience and uh, track record and uh, have the facilities to work on it and the time to work them through it. And if you do, then you get a chance to, to mold a, a good player into a better player and a better player into a great player. Really good. Um, thanks for that, Coach. It was great. Yeah. Um, so – um, just getting into some of those things, like well, I, I think also what you're trying to say there too is like I think all the great players, and then you've you've had coached so many. Like, what have they all typically done? You know, I think also it seems like you're trying to get them also to realize that like the great players that you've also coached, what do they have in common? Uh, they have passion for the game. They want to get better. They can't wait to get down the field. They work harder. And the next guy, they want to learn. Their mind's open. Uh, they compete on a daily basis. They're competitive. Uh, they're tough. They play when they're hurt. You know, they play when they're not quite 100%. Um, they're unselfish. Um, they want to win. <laughs> you know, I, I've, had a lot, I've had some good players that were just good baseball players. And I've had some guys that, man, they just wanted to win. And they didn't care what it took to win. You know, they were willing to do work as hard as it needed to be, compete as hard as they could to win for the team. And, you know, you know, one of the kids was like that was Casey Stone. He was undersized, just would not strike out. Hmm. Just, he, he, he'd jump in a batter's box to follow a pitch off. He was play left field and could scoot, run, bunt, and hit behind a runner, whatever it took. If you raced in the 60-yard dash with another guy, he was going to win. And if he didn't win, he goes, we're running again. We're running again. <laughs> we're running again. Until he won. I mean, he's that had that much drive. And, you know, you got to have some guys like that to become really good players because of their heart. So I would say that there's a they care. Uh, losing hurts. 
winning is something special to them. Um, they want to keep on learning and they're unselfish and they compete in everything they do. Practice, weight room, workouts, speed, agilities, competing all the time. Those are your winners. Those are your guys. Those are your guys. <laughs> yep. And it's like you said, they're trying to get to your other players to realize that. Like that's yeah. what those really good players did. Yeah. You know, yeah. and try to treat them. They got that extra, they have that extra gear. They have that gear when they're tired. Oh, I'm going to go harder. Whereas some guys get tired and they go, they back off a little bit. Not, not, not the winners, not the guys that really, really go to the next level. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my assessment of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, as much as much as you know as much that you did into practice and you and you bought into those uh you know you've, you've talked a lot about you know, leadership and you've talked a lot about um just them caring about them as a person and things like that so like outside of practice time like beyond the game uh what what kind of things would you do what kind of things are you thinking that really made an impact on your players outside of just the practice time? I think it's really the most important thing. If you ever want to be have a winning program, a championship program, a winning program for a long period of time, I mean, some people can have it, um, you know, can have success here and there. But if you have a winning program over a long period of time, it's because you yourself are passionate. You yourself care. You yourself are not asking them to do anything that you're not willing to do yourself. And once they understand that, you know, I'd be in the weight room, I'd beat them in the pull-ups. I would, you know, I'd, I'd be running the Omaha four-lapper, which is 2.25 miles, two and a quarter miles. I, I would be running that with them when, as long as I could. And as long as I knew I was in shape, to hang with it. And I think when they know that you're in the trenches with them, that's the most important quality a coach has to have is that they know that you care about them more than just as a baseball player. And if you can get that mutual respect back and forth, to me, that's the best quality a coach can have, uh, along with being really astute with the game, fundamentally. And I've known guys that are, you know, really successful baseball players that try to teach the game. They can't do it because they don't know how to communicate it. So you got to be able to communicate. You got to be able to talk to them when you lose and tell them good stuff and challenge them or whatever has to happen. And when you win, which is a lot easier because you're emphasizing some good things. But at the same time, there may be some things there we got to do a lot better. So it's not as close next time. So communication, fundamentals and communication, uh, ability to teach, ability to handle tough i have another acronym called uh mta and that is make the adjustment you got to be able to make the adjustment during the games you got to be able to make good decisions got to know what your personnel is all about and know who you need to bring in at the right time who you need to take out at the right time um and it's not that's not an easy you know we've all made those mistakes you know <laughs> and uh so you really have to get to know your players so you make fewer mistakes and know what they're capable of doing, place them in situations where they're going to be successful. And so to me, um, I think the communication, having passion, 
having them know that you care about them outside of baseball, um, asking them not to do anything you're not willing to do yourself. You want to be in shape? I think it's important you be in shape. You try to, you know, keep yourself as fit as you possibly can so you're a good example for them all the time. It's tough for some people, but I always, when I looked at my coaches, man, I, my football coach, I watched him run a five-mile race one day on a Sunday morning after a football game or something. There we played up at Maine, and I watched him come across. I watched him come from about 200 yards away. I said, here he comes. Here comes Walt. And I'm telling you, right, there was snot coming out of his nose, and he was cold. He was grinding through this thing. I'm thinking to myself, man, he's he giving everything he's got. He may die out here today. <laughs> but he's giving everything. I guess I'm going to give him everything I got all the time. So that example, you know, was important for me. And my other coaches, you know, that I've had, all the coaches I've had were always good examples for me to follow. And so I was lucky. I had a lot of good coaches. And uh, so I see those as, as really important things, but you can't, you can know all the X's and O's you want and all, all the fundamentals you want and all, but if you can't communicate it and teach it and you can't get your point across at the right times and have the inflection in your voice when you, they, hey, it's time to, you know, it's business time. You know, I think your voice and how you go about that, um, your body language in tough situations and games. I've played against guys that arms are folded at third base. And I'll just turn to my team and we got him, fellas. Look at that guy. We got him. It's over. Now let's step on the throat. You know, I could see that that person had given up. That person had, oh, what a lousy day we're having. And that's just permeate to the field, you know, to the players in the field. We've won a lot of games in my life, being down nine runs in the ninth inning, seven runs in the ninth inning, come back and win. You know, down six six runs with two innings to go, you come back and win. This is the most valuable lesson your team can ever learn is that the game is never over to the last out, the last pitch. And if you win a couple games like that, that is the best teaching lesson, the best lesson they can ever learn is that we can always win we can always come back game's never over and so you can't ever let that creep into your head as a coach or creep into your body language it may be in your head like oh this nice game's not going so good but you can never let them believe that you're out of it and so uh, those are the qualities that i see and i feel like i was always pretty good at and um Passion has always been there, communication skills, the care about the players, um, you know, all those things that I think were always always pretty good. <laughs> but, you know, I, I get a lot of loyalty amongst my players. They tell me these things that uh, they're teaching their kids now. And they're, a lot of these guys are, you know, everybody talks about my coaching tree of, you know, Tim Corbin, Sully, all these guys are the coaches. Great, they're all head coaches, but then there's assistant coaches, then there's some high school coaches, but then just as proud as the fathers that are out there teaching their kids who travel ball teams or their 12, 12 little league, 12 year old little league teams. I'm on Zoom calls with them like this with you know 15, 12 year old kids, and they're ready to ask questions and they're 
you know, they've all got three questions written down and I'm talking about the same things we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And the father is the, one of my former players. So they're just as important because they're teaching the same kind of lessons all the way up through the ranks. So there's a lot of, a lot of good and tough qualities becoming a good coach for a long period of time. But I think those are some of the better qualities you can have. Mm, for sure. <laughs> uh, just the absolute consistency, man, just being able to show up and uh, yep. like you do with this much energy you have, you know, the passion, I think it's just remarkable. Well, awesome. It's in my, it's in my blood. Trey, it's been there, been there since the beginning. It hasn't wavered. It's still there. Still, probably would be coaching. Um, although I've found a lot of other things in, in life that there is out there, but at the same time, it's it would have been tough for me to leave. Um, want to leave on my own terms, and if I'd had the right, you know, AD right situation, it would have. To, to finish the way I wanted to. I did get involved with USA Baseball, which made it great. Yeah. And uh, and I've come to terms with it a little bit, but at the same time, I probably, fire is still burning. I probably still would be banging away at this thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It sounds like it for sure. And, I, you know, I do have the book. I think ABCs, I do have the book. Good. Um, it's great, you know, and uh, – you know, so at least I'm sure that kept you busy. I mean, my goodness, that's it, no that's no easy task. It's no easy task. I, I it's something I wanted to do, and uh, I just felt like it was important. And it's a great book for coaches, young coaches, old coaches, guys have been around, business leaders, parents, athletes, anybody who wants to improve their chances of uh, reaching excellence. And it's just thoughts off the top of my head. Going to go through the alphabet. Starts with attitude, adaptability, handling adversity, you know, other A's, and then B, handling, you know, having balance in your life, body language, C, confidence, you know, just a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's easy reading, but it's, it's, uh, I think it's important for everybody. And, and again, I think there's a lot of nuggets in there that, that make everybody a little sharper in what they want to do to, make themselves better. So I hope go to the website, jackleggett.com or go to Amazon and get the ABCs of excellence. And then, you know, on my website, they can also target it with uh, the coaching videos, the 29 coaching videos that have to do with MTA, making the adjustment, talking about uh, mental, physical toughness and talking about, you know, all, all the qualities of a, winning athlete and coach in a winning program. And so I think there's some really good stuff there. So hopefully they'll, they'll find that interesting. Yeah, there's some really good stuff. And um, in for a lot of coaching yourself too, right, coach? Like basically consulting with other with other coaches? Well, I've been, you know, I've, I've done some things where I've gone to, you know, some college coaches and, and uh, been down to the University of Florida. I go up to Western Carolina and I go to, been in some other places, other coaches, uh, and talked to their teams. I've been up to Winthrop. I've been over to University of Maine when they came down and talked to their team. I, I, I love talking to teams. I love talking to players. Just on the bus the other night at Western Carolina when they got done, and, you know, 
and talked to their team and, and talked to them like a coach, you know, told them exactly what I saw on the field. And, uh, you know, they do a great thing up there. They, they have a, a player wear number seven and call it Legget Legacy. And they just, they treat me really well up there. Western Carolina was up there nine years. Miranda treats me really well. And, and the, uh, legacy that we had up there. So I feel connected to their program, but I've been to high schools. I've been to talk to kids in high school, talk to coaches, been out at practices in high school. And like I say, I've been, you know, with 12 year old kids or 11 year old kids playing and take a kid aside and go, Hey, you might want to think about doing this or, you know, throwing wild, whatever it might be. And, and, um, you know, I've been on Zoom calls. I'm going to work with this high school team that comes down here. I just like being around it. I like kids that are passionate about it. And uh, I think they hang on every word because, you know, I've got 2,500 baseball games under my belt. I've, you know, are close to it. I've, you know, 40 years of experience and uh, still can relate to these kids, still have fun with them. And uh, so I think they hang on every word that you – that you give them and uh, that makes it fun. That makes it fun to go out there and try to teach somebody something they didn't know before. Mm-hmm. I was, um, man, just, just, I guess, uh, coming from like my challenges and things like that as a coach and things I've really had to focus on, cause it's hard. I'm not sure how much it is, but like, it seems like you're, you know, you love your practice. You love the repetition and things like that. Uh, cause you had mentioned about, you know, making the mistakes, uh, changing pitchers and, and managing the game. So really my thing is about game management, you know, like how have you been, is, is it just been, how have you been able to, what would you suggest? Inv- yeah. Like about g- managing the game better, you know, and how you are able to do that and just kind of your evolution um, and, you know, growth as a game manager. Well, I think when I first started out, you know, I was at the university of Vermont and we didn't have as much depth. So, you know, those guys went out there and competed for seven innings, nine innings or whatever it was, you know, we didn't have a lot of relief pitching to come in. So they would, you know, when I went to Western Carolina, um, talent was a little bit stronger. And I would say um, had more depth. And so you could make more changes. Baseball is a very difficult game to uh, make changes because once you take a kid out, he's out for the day. Whereas in basketball, you know, you point guard's not getting the job done. You sit him down for a couple of minutes, talk to him, send him back in the ball game. If your defensive tackle comes in for two quick plays and then, oh, it's a passing down, you bring somebody in who's a better edge rusher, and then he goes back in the game. So you can freely substitute. And uh, so baseball and soccer, you know, is another sport. You can't just put guys in and out, at least in college. So it's a, uh, it's difficult. You, when you take a kid out of the game, you got to know that you're putting somebody else in there that's going to be able to do the job. And changing pitchers is by far the toughest decisions to make, in my opinion, um, because you know you just don't know what you're going to get all the time. And uh, sometimes a guy who didn't have a good outing last time, you're hesitant to put him in, so you wait a little too long, and then you put him in, and he's lights out. And I've had a guy with lights out last time. You put him in early, and now he doesn't have it that day. And next thing you know, you go, you know. So there's, there's, you see those things over a course of time, and you're able to make better decisions. I think when you have better depth, 
And if a guy goes in there and you got really good depth, you got really good pitching staff, a guy goes in there and he walks a guy and hits a guy or whatever, gets working behind the count, and you realize he doesn't have it that day, you got depth, you can bring somebody else in. If you don't, you might have to eat it and, mm-hmm. and watch him finish this thing off and hope he toughens up and gets it done. So I think that's one of the toughest things to do is, is to make good decisions pitching-wise. And, um, you know, I've, over time I've, I've gone out there before and, you know, he either talks you into it or you, know, you feel like he can do it and you're just going out there. By the time you get back to the foul line, he throws a pitch and it serves it up and it's over the fence. <laughs> or I've seen, gosh, I think he can get this guy out. And next thing you know, it's, you know, let him finish his batter off. Boom, it's over the fence. Yeah. And, you know, times where you go out there and, you know, he looks like he's under control, but you got a better feeling about the next guy. You bring him in and he's lights out and he just boom, 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 throws a double play, strikes out a guy, boom, we're out of the inning. So, you know, it can go either way. I, I think it's just a matter of trying to know your players as best you possibly can and getting a really good feel for what's happening in the game that day. And uh, I always felt it was pretty good about I could watch their hitters, I could watch our pitcher, I could I kind of feel whether he when he's starting to lose it a little bit, when the momentum's starting to change and they're starting to get too good of looks, you can make a change. But um but you weren't right all the time. You can't be right all the time. <laughs> Simple as that. If if you could look into the future and know that, you'd be an unbelievable baseball coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you'd be undefeated. You'd be undefeated. <laughs> but <clears throat> so I think there's uh there's, there's just a, a balance of knowing what your team is all about, what these kids capable of doing and making sure they're ready to play every day. And one of the best teams I ever had, Trey, was we weren't the most talented, but it was 1995 or 94. I think it was 94, my first year. I think we were 54 and 17. We, we won 54 games. But during the whole course of that season, I don't think we lost, but only once did we lose two games in a row. That's tough to do in baseball. Yeah. It was in Hawaii, and I could just see on the Astro trip, it looked like the second day, or it was the third day of the trip, and it just looked like they were in cement. And, you know, the legs were just slow. But we had enough pitching throughout Chris Benson, who ended up being the first kid in the draft. Two years later, he threw him out. He stopped the bleeding that day, and we won. And so we only lost two games in a row one time during that year, which is phenomenal yeah. in baseball. Because you usually run into a – period where you don't play well for three or four games or whatever it might be. But um, so I think just the idea that, that you get your team to play consistently and be ready to play every day is, is something that uh, I knew what I was going to get out of each and every one of those guys, even though we weren't the most talented, we played together as a team hard every day. And that's, that's uh, that makes for a good team. Good team. Absolutely. Coach, I, I really appreciate all this. This is great. I know we're getting here. I want to respect your time and all. Uh, you had mentioned your website, jackleggett.com, uh, mm-hmm. talking about that. Is there any other good ways of maybe contacting you or any other things to kind of see what else you're putting out there? They can go through the website and find out, you know, exactly what is kind of going on. And I've got a uh, – on there, there will be a uh, – I think there's an uh, email on there if anybody wanted to contact me. And uh, if uh, 
I always like talking baseball. If there's somebody out there who wants to talk baseball, that's that's good. I do do some consulting. I've been down to high schools before. They, you know, contract me to come down and work with the high school, or work with the college team, or whatever's allowed to happen. And I, uh, I've done that before, and uh, something I enjoy doing. Sometimes I can fit it in the schedule. Sometimes I can't. But I've talked to a lot of coaches, a lot of people over the phone, and just like we're doing here and talk about baseball. And so it's important to me if I can help somebody. I've had people call me and ask me about coaching profession and what they need to do. Should he take this job or not? Or what do you think about taking this step? Or, you know, coach, I got the discipline problem. Somebody's called me, asked me those questions. Uh, you know, I, I've a little bit of everything. And so nothing's off limits. I like talking to people and, and I like talking baseball. So uh, that's the best way they can get a hold of me and best way they can get a hold of those the, the book and the videos. And I hope uh, some people, listen, some listeners on the podcast will will uh, jump on those avenues and, and see what they can do about finding it and, uh, and benefit from it. Famer Jack Leggett. Just um, really fortunate to be able to have an episode and talk some baseball with him. With the amount of games, the amount of knowledge that he has. It's great to learn things. And just to even rehash it, I just, sometimes I just love talking to coaches just to also reinforce things. You love going to conventions. Yes, there's a lot of, it can be overwhelming, but it also can be so reaffirming of the things that you do. Sometimes, you know, like with the fundamentals, you hear Coach Leggett in, in the whole thing that is like fundamentals and wearing it out and how strong you need to be in the fundamentals. And fundamentals are a big deal and how they are committed to the fundamentals and making sure that the guys come in and they understand that. The simple throwing competitions, like how you throw with a purpose, playing catch, how many guys have felt that is important. And again, it's, but it's about being there. It's about treating it, making sure that it is serious. And just love his, his his intensity, his repetition, and accountability. Big thing of practice, big thing into, again, how he's committed to those fundamentals and how they get them to be fundamentally sound. Okay, within the practice, his little saying, of you, you practice like a Harley-Davidson, you're going to play like a Harley-Davidson. It's a great thing. Um, and also, coming back to the players knew I cared more, I cared about them more than just being a baseball player. Really spoke to the level of commitment he had to his players. And what he was doing for them. So, just uh, again, thanking you guys for sharing with us here. Thanking you guys for celebrating here this these two-year anniversary. Um, two years of doing the podcast. And just love rounding it out with Coach Leggett uh, with a two-year two podcast. 104 episodes straight. Can't say it's been easy. Um, it's getting challenging, especially now with helping out and taking on the community college role, keg coach, still trying to be there for my family, trying to be a dad, and at the same time being the best teacher I can for my students. So not sure what the future will hold. Uh, I just loved uh, fin- I loved finishing this, this second year up with Coach Leggett, having the opportunity to talk to him, and full circle with 
just how the, the podcast and the networking and all helped this come to be. So um, still looking forward to future episodes, future talks. And until then, keep getting better.